dealing in mental health and the intersection with the environment seems almost natural now, post-COVID, more than ever. I think there's sort of like a, a visceral reaction to to go in nature to heal. And so, you know, I think what we need is we need resources, we need, we need goodwill, we need support from leadership. Welcome to an outstanding and fun season four of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and I think you're going to enjoy this season and the episodes that we have forthcoming. Thank you. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to uh, the fourth season of the Hardwood Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and we have some amazing, amazing, wonderful uh, episodes coming this season, and we're kicking it off strong with uh, our first couple of guests. And we're fortunate with this podcast being hosted in the School of the Environment at Yale University that our guests are from the Yale School of the Environment. And so um, today, at least starting off right now, we have uh, we have Mia Wilson and we have Rafa Sindoni. And we're about to get into a conversation from these two wonderful professionals who are working in the School of the Environment, particularly, not only, but particularly around like mental health, uh, and also, uh, and also self-care and people taking, you know, and, uh, and also really, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion too, in, in the lens of how we take care of ourselves and see ourselves, uh, thriving. So before we get to that, I'm not the most important person here. They are. So I'm going to ask you if you would mind, Mia and Rafa, would you mind, uh, you know, just telling us a little bit about yourselves, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Mia Wilson. I am a licensed clinical social worker for Yale Mental Health and Counseling. Um, so I split my time between the law school and the school of the environment. Thank you. Wonderful. And and Thomas, thank you so much again for having us. I uh, really appreciate you making this space. Um, I'm currently a master's student at the School of the Environment, uh, focusing on uh, climate change and environmental justice issues. Um, and uh, what, what's kind of led me here is I'm, I'm a new meditation instructor at the Good Life Center uh, here on Yale's campus um, and really kind of focusing on the intersections of mental health, meditation, uh, and kind of the explorations of consciousness and self with how we really consider these existential issues of climate change, environmentalism, and really trying to bump up the level of our discussion and dialogue and practice here at the School of the Environment. Okay. All right. All right. And we also want to just real quick, we have to acknowledge our new assistant dean of student affairs, Andres Fernandez. Welcome, sir. Uh, you know, we get, know you're busy, but I just want to definitely make sure that we acknowledge you and ask how you doing today. Thank you, Thomas. My apologies for, for being late. I was trying to no expedite a situation here and, and it's the nature of the, of the job. So I appreciate everybody's sort of patience and, and, you know, the minutes kept going by and I was like, I'm, I'm late. We're going to have to reschedule. So I, I appreciate everybody waiting and I appreciate you inviting me, Thomas. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So, okay, so then, so what we're going to do, though, if you don't mind, um, um, Andres, is I'm going to ask a couple of questions, okay, you know, Tamia and Rafa, and then we'll, and we will, and then, and then we'll make sure that we, okay, I appreciate you, you know. I love working with wonderful people. Uh, all right, okay, so Mia and Rafa, you've already given, a, just acknowledging your disciplines, okay, and what you're doing, but I still would, I, I, I think it would benefit us to know a little bit like, could you tell us like how you got involved, like what led to you doing this work? And I'd like to start with you, Mia, if that's okay, you know, with you being a new staff there in the school, uh, you know, just love to learn some more about your new role, but your experience, you know, that contribute to leading to your work on, in particular on mental health issues on campus. Absolutely. So I, I always knew I wanted to be a social worker. Um, like I started very 
very early on in undergrad and went all the way through to grad school. Um, and mental health was just always something that was really important to me. Um, and I didn't know if I wanted to go like the policy route or the clinical route, but I decided that clinical would just be a better fit. Um, so prior to being here at Yale, I did a lot of work with uh, children and adolescents. It was very tough work and a lot of resistance and I enjoyed it, but I knew that I wanted to change. Um, and I like to work with, with young adults because they're just really eager to like get the help and to, to ask for it and, and even just like follow through. So there's a lot of change happening. And I feel like the students are definitely grateful to have so many resources on campus where they can pop in when they're just feeling really stressed out. So that's been great. Can I ask you just real quick, okay, before we go, you know, to another uh, our other amazing guest. You said it was it was there was some about what you were doing. It was hard. Could you like just, you know, and I know we both, I'm sure, love children. You know, love doing this work. You know, but would you mind maybe could you just elaborate? Like, why was it hard? You know, or you know, challenging. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of in-home work and typically when people are referred to the services I did in the past, it wasn't because they wanted to be, it was because it was like kind of being forced into it or mandated. And, you know, as a child, you know, someone's like, you're going to have to go to therapy and it's not something that you look forward to. Um, so it was definitely hard work because you're constantly trying to make it fun and like play activities and painting and art where, you know, with young adults, it's more of, all right, you know, they come in and they're like, help me. Like, I, I just want to talk and I just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And those are conversations that are, in my opinion, just they go more smoothly. Thank you. Thank you for expressing that. All right. So here we have our mental health professional working on mental health initiatives. I want to make sure that I restate that and say that. Then we have Rafa, who you just, um, you know, introduced yourself in coming being at the good life center you know which is a a a great i know it's part of the campus i used to go there pretty frequent when i was there to be honest with you and uh and also support students going there so you know could could you tell us more about the work that you're doing there but i also know that you're working on you're you're doing work around climate change in addition to mental health so you know uh if i'm okay thank you okay i want to make sure that i was i was right on that and so i would definitely we we need to know more about that initiative and how do you see that going yeah, no, thanks for asking that question. Um, so, you know, to give a little bit of background, I, I really entered this, this space in this school with, with a really deep fascination of, of our relationship that we have with our own minds. Um, and kind of taking this idea of like our consciousness really being a way in which we see our place in the world and how we relate to the world around us, which is something that is so intrinsic to climate change. You know, what is this world that we're inhabiting? How are we? you know, treating it in a way that is causing this kind of suffering that is ubiquitous in, you know, in our atmosphere and the changing world. Um, and the lever by which I've been exploring that kind of realm of consciousness has been through meditation. Um, for the last 10 or so years, I've been studying both secular and esoteric forms of meditation across the U.S., in Kathmandu, Nepal, uh, with a variety of teachers and, and periods of silent retreat. Um, and, you know, coming here, I was faced with such a wealth of of opportunity to study policy and climate science and all of these really deep, impactful ways to observe our role in climate change. But I noticed a little bit of a, an opportunity to, to understand climate change from a deeper, more, um, a deeper kind of spiritual level to again examine what is our role of, of ourselves and our consciousness and our role of, of, of the climate. And I saw a really wonderful opportunity to try to engage with, with more of those intentional practices with our role in climate change. So I, you know, with, with consulting with Andres and Mia and a few folks at the Good Life Center, I created an initiative called the Movement for Emotional Resilience in Climate Crisis, 
uh, called Merck. And it is a greater initiative for us to create a safe space to not only heal and grieve some of the changing of this world, but to kind of create a system of contemplative practice of really examining, you know, what is our role in this system? How can we create periods of, you know, silence and growth and healing through meditation, community discussion uh, and reflection while we're thinking about the climate policy and the climate science and kind of really give space for all of that to grow alongside each other on campus. Okay. As a person who meditates daily, okay, mm. but only been doing it for the last seven years. And I did get into it, I'll admit, from a religious perspective at first. And then it has since evolved into a spiritual and now an environmental practice. Now, mm. uh, I, I, I definitely can align with everything that you're saying. And I, but I see how you also, you mentioned silence. And of course, I mean, meditation, you know, mm. we're, we're silent. Have you, now what I want to do is I'd like to ask you something and then also bring Mia back into it to, to ask this. So, so one, what I want to do is ask Mia, would, would you mind maybe sharing, you know, if you have some, uh, you know, some ideas around meditative practices and how that may support, you know, mental health. And then I'd love to come back to Rafa and ask, can you, you know, share how, as you're doing this work, how do you see people, it's like really perceiving themselves in the environment after going through, you know, or, or maybe, you know, experiencing, you know, these practices through meditation and silence. Yeah. So I think I get asked that question a lot. Okay. And it's not necessarily um, like something that I'm, I'm really invested in. And I do. Um, and it wasn't until I got to Yale that, you know, I've had like a lot of requests and, I think at the law school, it's a beautiful thing because there's a counterpart as a wellness, there's a wellness um, counselor there who does a lot of meditation and she's been like showing me a lot of, of her practices and it's been really helpful. And even being at the school, the environment, the, I feel like people are always inviting me to like yoga sessions or meditation sessions. And it's something I'm trying to get into, but I think it's more of, I come from more of like a psychodynamic lens and that's mm-hmm. something that I try to focus on, but gotcha. there's a lot of learning opportunities there. Right now. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. Yeah, that's a great question of really how, you know, meditation uh, can connect to really help the mental space and resiliency grow around our place in climate crisis and climate change. Um, and recognizing that my, that my role, my, my answer to this question would be shaded by uh, my position as a meditation instructor, but I, I really do believe that when we intentionally carve out space for silence, to really examine the thought streams that are running through our minds and usually how we typically just go from thought to thought to thought throughout a day. And we begin identifying with these, with these habitual thoughts, especially those around climate change. They can, they can weigh so heavily on our, on our backs as we're, we're trying to constantly feed the flame of compassion as environmentalists. You know, it can feel like this existential threat that we're, that we're studying every day can feel so heavy. And then that can really weigh down on us. And I think this practice of meditation, when done regularly, especially in community, can really start to take some of that weight off of our shoulders and just see in that moment of silence and of breathing uh, in a place of community where compassion is being shared, that we are really just, we are okay, just as we are, that we're just breathing, that we're just in a place of being, uh, that can really create a, a perspective shift on what our role is as environmentalists and climate change advocates so that we can create that space for ourselves to think about these issues in new ways that can not only be more compassionate, but also put ourselves as, as ego humans and, you know, inserting ourselves into the issue and and give more space to listen to others, to let the voice of others, especially those in marginalized communities at the forefront of climate change help guide us a bit more. So it's really also carving out that deep listening, which is so important as we consider our roles as environmentalists. Okay. 
there's so much that both of you said, but I want to bring this to Assistant Dean Fernandez now in particular, because you said when you mentioned community, I thought, okay. And so here we have an amazing leader who's helping, you know, to support that community, okay, who's recently also come who's new. And so what I want to say is to our two folks, thank you, and please stay with us as I now turn to Assistant Dean Fernandez. Hey, sir, how you doing? Doing all right, Thomas. Thanks for having me, and thank you, Mia and Rafa, for all the work that you do. I, I immensely appreciate the energy and sort of the, the profound uh, commitment that you all bring to the work, and, and you have been very sort of invaluable to my to my four months here. So I just wanted to sort of send that, that message of gratitude to you both. And with that, four months, okay? Everyone, you heard that, four months. So it's new, fresh, green. Sir, would you mind telling us some about, like, your background and how you became the assistant dean student affairs at Yale School of the Environment. Sure. Yeah. Um, and always trying to figure out how to not get too much into the ego, as, as Rafa mentioned, try to get away from these personal narratives. Well, you know, I, I was working at Brown before. I was an uh, associate dean of students. And before that, I was an assistant dean of academics at Oberlin. Previously, I did some work at the UN for the permanent mission of Venezuela, where um, it's where I grew up. And I also worked as a project manager in a refugee camp in Zambia, where we had 20,000 refugees from the DRC. And I managed the preschools, I managed the sexual um, information center, the women's center, uh, three libraries. So all impactful work. And, and I think sort of my, 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 my North Star, my, my guiding principle coming out of graduate school is uh, as an immigrant who grew up in a single parent home and, and was really committed to trying to do something to give back. I felt there was a lot of uh, fortunate events. I transitioned into, into academia and, and, you know, before coming to, to Yale, I felt like we were always being reactive. Um, and so I really wanted to come in and figure out, are there some ways to be proactive, to put in the work, you know, the, the extra hours in advance, to do some some collective healing, to do, you know, planting a seed of, of kindness, self-kindness, of compassion. How do we connect to our humanity? How do we connect to our essence? How do we, you know, appreciate, as you said, Rafa, silence and, and separating ourselves from being reactive with your thoughts and sort of having uh, increasing the amount of skin. Really, really interested in doing that work. And, and, you know, I'm grateful that the leadership here and my team was on board and there was a need to really focus on, on some of these initiatives. And, and I'm happy, Thomas, if you want me to continue to talk a little bit about some of the things that we've done in this regard with, with this sort of mission plan and, and, and that, that we had coming in. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, so that that's a great segue because what I was going to ask you about next was, you know, thinking about how YSE is continuing to foster, you know, diversity and identities and perspectives and recognizing that people come from different communities, you know, I, and you've been doing this work, you know, in different ways and in different capacities. I'd like to ask, you know, what new insights on these issues has your new role, you know, given you, and maybe if you would like to talk about another initiative or two, you know, please, you know, if that, if that helps to, you know, to, to also, you know, to explain it. That's what's wonderful. I appreciate the, the, the question. I think, you know, from my, my radical days, maybe 10 years back, I, I've come to a different place of nuance and, and, and sort of understanding the, the complexities. And I think diversity and inclusion for me is a little bit, and, and again, I say this understanding the privilege of what I'm about to say, but for me, it's a bit more complicated. It's more complex if you, if you expand it on a sort of international context, right? And so, when I took, you know, students of color to Cuba, for example, we were having a lot of conversations about, you You know, you're, you're a black student from the south side of Chicago, you come from a single parent home, you're first gen low income, but now we're going to Cuba, where you're a U.S. citizen, you speak English, and you have an Ivy League degree. So how, how much compassion are you going to expect them to have with you in relation to your privilege? And so the, the ability to rotate and for the lenses, I was a white man in Zambia, 
I was Latinx here, minoritized here against my will, I consider myself a person of the global majority. There's a lot more brown and black people out there. And so for me, it's a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more complicated. I think it's a more, it's a, it's a richer conversation to have. Again, the privilege with that is for folks that are not from marginalized backgrounds domestically, obviously don't always have the opportunity to, to experience that. So I, I understand and acknowledge, but I think there's ways to be sensitive to engage in these conversations. And, and, you know, I did that, that training in Cuba was really sort of powerful. I was asked to do it again for the 25 U.S. and Canadian universities that have campuses in Europe. Um, it got canceled because of COVID before I accepted the role at Yale. Um, and so that's the start of the conversation of sort of my own growth in relation to DEI work and belonging. And then mm-hmm. what I found refreshing and, and, you know, it's sort of been a humbling for me is sort of the intersection and connecting with the healing power of being in nature too. And so, that segues away a little bit of the program and the well, wellness weekends that we organized it, um, where, you know, expressing how horrific their first year had been, uh, you know, not, not being on campus, not feeling a part of the community, not engaging really academically with each other. I mean, the, the energy was just sort of depleted. It was just sort of this. Um, and so we started quickly trying to create and, 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 and get the funds approved to do a, a you know, wellness weekend where students could build community in nature. Um, shared time, space, and energy. We connected with a local company called Breathing Room Connecticut. We did a, a programming that involved, you know, forest bathing, mindfulness, nature walks, and silence as well. The whole morning program was in silence, yoga in nature. We did a cleansing fire ceremony where everybody wrote down something they wanted to get off or clean or, or purify from the pandemic. Um, so it was, it was quite emotional. Mia joined us for, I think, one or two of those. Uh, we had a great staff. We had TAs. PhD students who helped us with a little bit more substantive programming in the afternoon where they did some forest, uh, some tree mapping and, and a few other more sort of academic uh, projects to sort of have a, a, a balance of the, of the wellness and then also some more mods like. Then we would spend the night there and big bonfire and just really wonderful energy. If you saw the students the first day and when they came back, the energy was just completely different. There were, um, you know, and I think that the, the healing warmth of the forest and everybody coming together with the right energy and the right tone was, was a profound experience. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And along those lines, we've done a ton of, of work with, with Mia and with Alyssa, a ton of programming for meditation and art therapies and other phenomenal workshops that Mia is doing that are getting great traction, the cognitive behavioral therapy, the stress processing, anxiety processing workshop. We're doing sort of grab and go tea and fruit during exam weeks. We're doing you know, there's quite a few other things that, that but we've, we've been trying to engage again, to go back to my point with some of the more sort of proactive aspects of, of you know, if we, if we heal, if you're in a better place and we learn how to, you know, live a good life, then you're, you're better able to learn, you're better able to be in community, you're better able to do some conflict resolution, to be, to be more kind. And so um, we've been trying to do a, a holistic approach um, from, you know, from a, a place of, again, you know, healing, I think it's, it's, it's sort of where, where we're coming from. So I, I hope that that's a good answer. Oh, it's outstanding. One of the things, okay, I, I want to say this in response to Assistant Dean Fernandez and then ask our other two guests to then come off of silent. But I just want to acknowledge, first I want to say thank you for that answer. I was like his sitting here taking notes, like in particular when you talking about the balance of wellness, that they still did tree mapping. Uh, there was forest bathing, silent walk, cleansing, purifying ceremonies, holistic approach. What I find so wonderful about that is it seems like in some ways it could be somewhat of a composite of different practices. 
coming from different cultures that some people are actually, uh, you know, it's like central from, it's like, I come from that, you know, or, 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 or maybe my ancestors did that. So I want, I want to just, I want to compliment you all and say, thank you for doing that. Cause you said also mods for people listening, you know, it's like the orientation when students get there. So they're helping the students start off strong holistic and even going back and dealing with, you know, like other, you know, things that may have been, you know, like before you got there. So I just want to applaud that. And now this is why I want to ask all three of you brilliant people this question. How do you see mental health intersecting with diversity, equity, and inclusion? Some may even say access and justice. I'm just going to stick with the three. Okay. Let's just, let's just stick with DEI. Okay. All right. You know, for now, but how do you see mental health intersecting with DEI? We can take a minute. You know, just, you know, I'm... I wanted to give time for you both, but I'm happy to, to, to say a couple of points here. Uh, sort of, right. in terms of lived experiences, it's personal, right? I think, mm. and I mentioned this when I, when I interviewed with the 70 people I interviewed to get this job, but I think, you know, when you talk about sort of the cultural taboos around mental health, particularly when you talk about the toxic hypermasculinity of, of, of men of color, um, the global South, uh, religious cultural taboos, um, the lack of help seeking behaviors, um, it's a pattern that I've seen, you know, and, and I sat at NYU, I sat at Columbia, I sat at Oberlin, at Brown, now at Yale. It's, it's the same thing over and over again where, and I think Raf and me and I have talked about this too, where we, we do all this sort of intentional concerted effort for programming um, and, and not, we don't always reach the people we really want to reach. And so thinking about ways to, to connect into to particular groups of students, the way that I try to do that is to, to really try to build genuine relationships with, with students and for them to know that I, that all of us are doing this work from a place of care and empathy and compassion. There's nothing punitive here. And so the sooner I build the report, the sooner they'll be able to come to me, the sooner we can figure out a way to, you know, do a course load reduction, get some extensions, some incompletes, let me connect you to mental health and counseling, let me connect you to me, uh, let's figure out accessibility services. And so I think it's, it takes a little bit of digging, it takes a little bit of sensitivity, it takes a little bit of, 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 of connecting and figuring out um, how to engage in these conversations, particularly with international students from the Global South. Um, and this year we had the, the, the largest domestic uh, class of, of domestic minorities as well. And so um, I can I can see, you know, where we need to do more work. And I think ultimately it also matters, you know, representation matters. And so I, I appreciate Mia and, and I think we need to continue to increase the visibility of folks where um, we're demystifying this, where I'm telling students, you know, listen, I, I took a semester off in college. I needed to take care of my own mental health. And so I think those are powerful narratives that, that allow folks, folks to, to not see us as sort of having these perfect trajectories of success, but, but it's all bumpy and we're, and we're all trying our best. And I think that that's the way that I engage, but I, 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 need, I need help and I need to look, sort of to learn more, more on how to, how to be more proactive and, and engaging. But I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful question. I wonder what, what Rafa and you have to add. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And I, I think when I thought about this, I thought about, you know, the representation that, that Yale has in their staff and faculty. And I think there's a lot more diversifying happening and it's so beautiful. Um, and I feel so grateful because I can have great conversations and great therapy sessions with with a lot of the students that come in. Um, but I feel especially grateful when students of color come in and they want to talk about things that they feel like they can't really talk to other people about. Um, and I know that some of the words that they've used is, you know, it feels really refreshing and very, you know, non-judgmental. And that's really inspiring to feel like I can provide that for students. Mm-hmm. And then there's always learning opportunities. So if there's something I'm not familiar with, I'll try my best to, you know, ask the right questions and um, see what 
on campus that could be really helpful. And I think with international students, there's a lot of work that could be done um, and something that um, hopefully I can be a part of um, in any, you know, any change that happens. So that, that's been my experience here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both so much for, for starting off this conversation. And yeah, Thomas, when you're asking this question, um, my mind kind of went to understanding how DEI fits with, you know, my, my own identity, you know, as, as, a, as a young white male in this system where, you know, Yale and so many other professors in the faculty are, are also white men and how mental health really intersects with a lot of that. And this kind of question of, you know, as a, as a white male, how can I actually foster the space to meaningfully engage with these issues um, and understanding that I need myself to be healthy and, and more important, I need to be ready to listen in a way where I'm willing to step back and, and really engage in a practice of deep listening to really internalize what oppressive systems and structures may be present in, the, in a system that I'm participating in in the school of the environment, um, how I can actively step into practices like meditation and others to really grow those muscles of deep listening and compassion to, to hear the pain and those systems that other people are feeling that I may not be feeling myself. Um, so I really think those you know, systems of meditation and others can be a really critical system, not just for my own mental health, but so that I can, I can really listen and I can engage and participate and um, support those systems of meaningful change and DEI initiatives. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. See, the, the responses just get me excited. All right. Okay. I know. So we're, we're almost done. I just want to say this. So I really have like one next to the last question. The way that you just, it's like everyone's taking personal responsibility. That's what I noticed. Everyone's responses is like you're thinking about you, your past, and then what I'm doing with other people. So it's like you are exercising compassion. You're exercising, um, you know, cognitive behavior. Like you're thinking as you're doing. But everyone there is a part of the school of the environment. And one addition being the school of law, you know, for one of us. And so I guess my question, my last question is, how can, you spoke individually, now I want to talk about the school. How can YSC play a key role in these issues? But I want to be specific. I'm going to say the issues around mental health intersecting with the environment. That's where I want to go. You know, I want to keep it on the school, you know, because some people may say, let's talk about uh, the deplete. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, 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 no. I want to keep it on the environment right now. And that, you know, because that's what we know we can impact. Right. So that's the question is how can we see YSC playing a role? I'll say something quickly. I mean, I think mm -hmm. actually Rafa's initiative when he met with me and we're, we're both new trying to figure out how to launch this initiative without necessarily encapsulating it just a student interest group, but something larger, more important that, than, than just YSC. And, 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 you know, I, I wasn't able to sort of necessarily see immediately outside of the, outside of the bubble. I, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a, a natural leadership role that we should take at Yale at large. And I'll say that some of the programs that we've done, even the wellness weekends, the, the Yale at large has a dean of students meeting once a month where all the deans of students sort of meet and they ask me to present. We got great traction, mm -hmm. great support. People are seeing the importance of this. I think remote healing and mental health and the intersection with, with the environment seems almost natural now, post-COVID more than ever. I think there's sort of like a, a visceral reaction to, to go in nature to heal. And so, I, you know, I think what we need is we need resources. We need, we need goodwill. We need support from leadership. We need maybe more folks that we can bring. I think Rafa had some great ideas at the beginning with some speakers and some, some experts that, that we could hire and some consultants. And so I think, you know, the more, the more traction that we get and, and part of it, part of that is, is going to be my responsibility to try to bring it up higher and, and, and continue to highlight all the, all the wonderful work. But I think there's, 
there's a space there in a need, a profound need. Um, and, and we have the expertise. I think we need, we need more people and more resources and maybe a little bit more support, but I'll let other folks uh, jump in. Yeah. Thank you. And I also think um, just kind of looking at the bigger picture, when people have access to resources and they utilize them, it, it could you know, really be beneficial in, you know, starting something more habitual in the future. So, you know, the students have maybe two years here and if they're utilizing therapy and they're healthy in their minds and they know that they can ask for help, mm-hmm. you know, once they go out into the real world and they're actually working, they can learn to set those boundaries and they'll be, you know, their mental will be much more healthier. Mm-hmm. And those are just good practices to have now because you don't always have access to, to healthcare, mental health um, resources once you graduate. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that it's very important to start now. Um, and having Andres, you know, as a, as a supervisor has been amazing because he's given me a lot of support and like venturing out and doing new things and not just, you know, doing individual sessions. Um, you know, he's allowed me to bring my emotional support dog here, Chloe. And I think the students really like having her around. It really boosts their, their mood, especially during exam week uh-huh. when they're really stressed out. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, they take that stuff home. And I think it's really good for them to have those resources as well. I'll just say this real quick before you speak, Rafa. Yes, it works. I could tell you this. When you mentioned, I got excited. So I could just imagine what people are getting who were there. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you both. And I'll, I'll try not to to mention too many points that the both of you have made because they're so wonderful. And I agree certainly with all of them. Um, I just really wanted to speak around this idea of, of this kind of basket of secularized rituals we have at, at YSC, you know, we all come back from summer into, into fall on campus. We have our midterms, we have our finals, we have mods, you know, that orientation where there's so much energy into these collection of activities that we engage in together. And I think for YSC to really start playing a role to really elevate mental health in our in our school, the kind of fabric of mental health needs to be integrated into these rituals. And like Andres mentioned, we, we've really started doing that with, with forest walks and some of these retreats and wellness weekends. But I think, again, any of these, anytime these rituals happen, you know, we go on break, we have midterms, we have orientation, there needs to be that element at the forefront. You know, what are we doing for mental health? And how are we not making this just a side task that we've kind of tacked on but really, how are we centering this this experience that we're all sharing together as students uh, and making it into more of a systemic thing instead of just a, a one-off or an ad hoc thing? And how can we uh, how can we integrate that into the fabric? And how do we fund it uh, as well? And how do we allocate resources towards it? So yeah, really just integrating it a bit more into that uh, kind of time scale of, of the student experience. Well, everyone, I took a lot of notes, but that's not what's important. What's important is that you all taught us and gave us so, so many things to think about. So as we bring this to a close, because I'm so excited and I want to thank you. Are there any other thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners, whether it's from a wellness perspective, whether it's from a compassion perspective, student affairs perspective, a psychosocial perspective, an environmental perspective? You all have so many gifts and talents, but also you have so much, uh, you know, knowledge to share. So that's my last question, because I'm like I said, I'm taking those and I'm learning, too. Yes. I'm just going to say, you know, I want to thank you, Thomas, for, for putting this together and for, for organizing and, and for folks that are, that are listening. We, we, you know, we appreciate folks that have this interest and, and this commitment and this passion to, to becoming better humans and, and, and sort of better people, to be kinder with ourselves, with nature, with, with each other. And, and, you know, we're only here for a little while, so let's try to be kind and, and compassionate. So that, that's all I have to say. Thank you. I echo that. Thank you, Andres. <laughs> yeah, thank you for this opportunity. and you know, giving us the chance to 
to address people and hopefully, you know, answer any questions that they have. Well, I want to thank you all for your time. Thank you for coming on the Hardwood Podcast. Thank you for enriching us and making, uh, continuing to make this better for us, okay? This is the first time that we've done this, and I feel like it's already a success to talk to three amazing people at one time. I'm the, I'm the fortunate one. Um, and so, uh, so as, I, as, as we close this off, we also have our engineer, Brother Tebow, who is really keeping everything fresh. So, everyone, I want you to know this. Thomas is really not the only one. Like, I, I love just being the host, but there are other brilliant people who are helping me. And my friend is here, too. So while he may be silent, please understand that I do not do this alone. Just as our friends talked about community, Hartwood is a community. Also, our friend Nadim, who you probably remember from last season. I hope you do. So, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to our folks. Take, please take this wisdom that, they, that they've given. Take care of yourself. Help to take care of others. If we're gentle with ourselves, we'll be gentle with others. Look at how we perceive ourselves. If we perceive ourselves well, we'll probably more likely perceive others well. And then we'll care for the environment. As we already know who studied the environment, the environment's already caring for us. So thank you, Yale School of the Environment, for supporting Hartwood. Thank you, Andres, Nia, Rafa, and uh, we'll be uh, talking to you all soon. Thanks. You just finished listening to one full episode of the Harvard Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley. We never want to close out our episodes without thanking our sponsors, the Yale School of the Environment, and also Mind Heart for Diversity, LLC. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in.